Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Committed is a production of iHeartRadio. I find maybe that more of an imaginary character could be more attractive than someone who who is real. <laughs> and I think Ash's character is pretty cute, to be honest. And I like her character a lot, and I like her personality a lot. That's who she is. And I can appreciate her physical attributes in real life, and I think her character looks even better. <laughs> so as we kind of got closer together, as we grew closer together, I certainly kind of found myself slipping down the, uh, the slippery slope of becoming a furry. That's Chip and Ash. Today, Ash is a trans woman married to Chip, a queer man. The two of them have been together for 15 years. When Ash first met Chip, he was part of a very specific community. The furry community. Now, you may have heard things about furries. You may have seen them in pop culture. And let me tell you, they usually get a pretty bad rap in pop culture. But if you don't know what furries are, they are a community of people that enjoy an interest in anthropomorphized animals. That sometimes likes dressing up as cartoon animals and sometimes does that in social situations like conventions. My persona is a coyote. 
I'm a fox. Finding and then joining the furry community through Chip has helped Ash to learn to express herself in completely new ways. I, I mean, furry is just like, I guess, any other gateway type community. It finds, you know, a certain affinity group in which people have, you know, this common ground. And that common ground allows you to express yourself in ways that you might not otherwise be able to, especially if you're queer, potentially closeted, or, you know, in my case, I when I first got into the fandom, I had not transitioned yet. And I was trans and I was trying to figure myself out. After they were together for a while, Ash transitioned and ultimately the two of them got married. I mean, ultimately, I think that being furries has made our relationship incredibly strong. I, I mean, imagine if you could talk to your partner, whoever they are, about every single thing that you like, about who you are. And to know somebody on that level and to that degree is a beautiful thing. And I'm not saying that, you know, folks don't necessarily get that out in a traditional relationship, I think plenty of folks find their fulfillment in those places. It's just, you know, I feel like, like as far as our relationship goes, it has made it incredibly strong. The vast majority of relationships, um, you know, like when you transition in it, they end up failing. With ours, our relationship just got stronger. I'm Joe Piazza, and this is Committed. Ash met Chip at his house 15 years ago. So I was having a housewarming party, and most of my friends were furry. Don't think Ash was quite that involved with the furry fandom at all, but she had a friend invite her to my housewarming party, and we hung out. I think I had brought him, like, a 12-pack of beer or something, and... Like, you know, like just for the house to share for the party. And it turned out I was like the only person that brought some things. I was thinking, wow, at least someone knows how to contribute and help out and be nice and kind and helpful. (laughs) Ash was just finishing up college. She goes to this house party where she knows she's not going to know anyone. She brings beer because she is polite. Ash is a good person and she knows it's important to bring things to people when they invite you over to their house. Mostly everyone at this party is a furry. They're not in costume, but they identify with the furry community. Now, I want to get some things out of the way early in this episode, because I had a lot of questions, and I'm sure you do too. So I want, I want you to talk me through, what does it mean to be a furry? What does it mean to be a part of the furry community? I think just part of what is... A furry is someone who's in, who's, who enjoys uh, anthropomorphic art. So animal characters, cartoon characters, that sort of thing. We're all fans of illustration and animation. And everybody who is a furry ends up choosing a animal character to represent themselves. Sort of like a personal mascot. 
And that personal mascot is called a fursona. A fursona is like a persona for someone who identifies as a furry. For someone who just loves the idea of human beings playing at becoming animals, either in costume or online. In fact, a lot of the furry community actually meets online first before they meet in person. And so when I met everyone, you tend to find out, hey, what's your persona? What's your animal? What's your personality traits? And you kind of learn about that person just by hearing about their persona first. And then you end up meeting them in person at parties or hanging out or online. So like I said, everyone at Chip's housewarming party, this one where he first meets Ash, they were a furry. But they weren't in costume because furries don't wear their costumes all the time. And kind of walking into that party, I mean, honestly, it was kind of just like a normal party. It was just a bunch of folks hanging out, except for the fact that nobody else brought drinks. Yeah, um, that was a little that, that was a little weird. <laughs> but I mean, aside from that, it was it was just, you know, kind of like your average chill college party but no and and no one was in costume no one was in costume no i it took me a while before i uh i I could tell you about that first experience that one was weird but uh it took me a while before i actually saw someone in suit i absolutely want to hear about that first experience yes (laughs) okay um so this was actually this is this is a funnier relationship story so this was chip introducing me to what is the fandom locally So every month, there's a meet at a local mall where everybody kind of shows up, or a few people show up. I'd say like, what, like 10, 15? Uh, Yeah, I mean, this was was almost 15 years ago. Yeah, okay. (laughs) This was 15 years ago. I forgot to preface it with that. Yeah. Um, But uh, about 10 to 15 people show up to this, and they're all furries, and they all tend to be a little bit more outwardly visible for visibly furry. I, I I don't know how to describe it other than that. I mean, it's like people who might be wearing tails and ears and uh, sometimes costumes. And I, at the mall food court. <laughs> yes, at the mall food court, and it is like the mall food court with like an orange Julius and a Chick Fil A. Yeah, yes. Yeah. There's an orange Julius, a Chinese restaurant, and uh, you know a Taco Bell or something, and then a bunch of people in various states of costume, whether they're wearing ears and a tail or a full costume. It was awkward. I didn't really enjoy that meet much, but that was the only meet that existed at the time. (laughs) And that was a long time ago when there weren't many ways to meet other furries. So I think Ash was a little shocked too. I was mildly traumatized, honestly. It was just like, oh, oh, okay. This this is not what I expected. Yeah, because the... The house parties I had, almost nobody wore costumes and they were just hanging out. But if you're in your own house wearing a costume, that's not as surprising as going to the shopping mall and wearing a costume. That was that was a little surprising for both of us. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 the public nature of the venue. That, yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> Didn't make a lot of sense, to be honest. What did it feel like? You're, all right, all of a sudden I'm surrounded by furries. And I also want to make sure, is furries the right word that I'm allowed to use out of the furry community? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, there's really uh, no, like, set terminology for furries. Yeah, so so furry is the correct term, I guess, to refer to furries. And in regards to how I felt about everything when we were at the mall, it was it was kind of an interesting 
experience. I mean, I, at first I kind of felt a little embarrassed, to be honest. I, I, I wasn't sure, you know, like, like, oh my God, is, is what if I, you know, like quote unquote normie friends going to see me here with a bunch of people in costume and be like, oh, oh my God, Ash is so weird. It's a little bit of a culture shock, honestly. I, I mean, like, there's no easy way to really describe it. I, I mean, seeing, seeing folks walk around in, in costumes or with tails and stuff, it can be a little weird if you're not, you know, like, used to it or not prepared for it. And so for me, it, w it was a little bit of a shock. And Ash was mostly furry online before this. So real-life furry interactions were a lot less frequent for her. Yes. And what's the difference between being furry online and furry in real life? Um, I can answer the online part if you want to answer the okay. real life part. So really kind of being furry online, uh, you'll see a lot of folks furry and furry adjacent that exist in this space where it's like, hey, maybe you really like an anthropomorphic character from a TV show and you think it's really cool and that's just your avatar. It could be that all the way up to designing your own character and implementing that as, you know, like your character maybe in a video game or your character that you, um, you know, like that you set up on, you know, like Twitter. So that's kind of generally speaking what it means to be furry online is it's just you have that online persona, but that doesn't necessarily stretch out into real life. When you do furry things in real life, it tends to be what they call fur meets or just hang out at some public location that's safe. And then it could include wearing various aspects of a costume. Other ways to be furry is going to conventions and helping run these, these really huge conventions where thousands of furries show up. And you'll have furries in costume, out of costume. I think most furries, the majority of furries don't have fursuits. I think it's about 30% of furries have fursuits, last I checked. It could be a little off, but you know, generally the majority of people don't have costumes. If you do, then you're pushing more into real life with your furry self. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile... 
the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know what. God, if you show me. God, if you tell me. God, no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. After meeting at that first house party, Ash and Chip were like immediately into one another. We realized kind of from the beginning that we were inherently compatible and that we were really happy together. We shared a lot of common goals. We're both kind of self-starters and and having these conversations early on in our relationship where we were just like, yeah, you know, like, this is what I really want to do in like 10 years. And, you know, like having these things kind of match up and line up so well was certainly a part of our early relationship. Right. And yeah, we did find we were both pretty ambitious people with similar interests. We both enjoyed certain kinds of sci-fi movies. Of course, we enjoyed similar TV shows and cartoons. A year after we met, Ash had to move with her parents to Oregon. And we're in Colorado, so that was a pretty far distance. And 
I think after several months of Ash living in Oregon, she realized that maybe she wants to come uh, live with me permanently because we were both pretty lonely without each other. Ash had been dealing with a lot of family issues and it was draining her. You know how families can be. They are very, very good at guilting you into doing stuff. You know how families can be. Sometimes, you know, like they'll they'll kind of like guilt you into doing stuff. Yeah, Ash felt an obligation to her family. Yeah. And I think what brought her back was she needed some independence. Well, I needed independence and I needed you. You got together, things become very serious. Did you get more involved in the furry community and how did that work out? As we kind of got closer together, as we grew closer together, I I certainly kind of found myself slipping down the uh, the slippery slope of becoming a furry. I really started to kind of fall in love with the community because there's this beautiful openness to it all. It's It's a queer community. It's a community that is different, but also very similar to kind of what I think we all grow up with in a family. In the sense that, you know, like you have these people that genuinely care about you, that are a part of your life, that you get to go off maybe and, you know, like hang out at a beach with, or go on a cruise with, or, you know, attend a con. Con, by the way, is short for conference or convention. Yeah, I mean, we've met people from Mexico, we've met people from Europe, we've made friends all over the world now. And the more involved you are, the more amazing people you get to meet in the furry fandom. Do you think it's just easier to have a very candid conversation when you are wearing a mask? Well, I so again, these conversations begin online, so it's, oh, right, it's less course, about yeah. wearing a mask, really, mm-hmm. at that point. Um, but you know, like it's it's that interaction that that is developed between you two, where you have you know like this this pre-established common ground, which is hey, we're all furries, and then we take that common ground and you kind of run with it and be like, oh, you know, like maybe I really like this movie or you know like this piece of art or this costume maker, and it it just kind of snowballs from there. Yeah, and we're used to not knowing, when you meet online and your whole community is online, you're used to not knowing what someone looks like, and that's okay. And so a lot of those barriers um, from your skin color to your queerness uh, aren't there when you just have that candid conversation on the internet, and then that that wall is kind of gone once you meet in person because you've already chatted so much online it doesn't really matter what they look like socially in furry there's no expectation to send a selfie like none no one expects you to send a real life selfie ever so um do you ever send pictures of the costumes (laughs) oh all the time so art and costumes are shared all the time but who you are in real life it just doesn't matter Nobody cares. (laughs) It's kind of weird. It is like a little bit of a a networking hub, isn't it? Very much so. So I brought this episode up to some of my friends before I talked to Ash and Chip. And networking hub was definitely not the reaction that most people had. In fact, almost everyone I talked to thought that furries were some kind of weird sex cult. No one thought about the community aspect or the artistic aspect. Maybe I just have perverted friends. They might just be perverts. 
But I also think, like I said at the top of this episode, that there's just a ton of misconceptions out there about the furry community. Furry is just like, I guess, any other gateway type community. I mean, like, it finds, you know, a certain affinity group in which people have, you know, this common ground. And that common ground allows you to express yourself in ways that you might not otherwise be able to, especially if you're queer, potentially closeted, or, you know, in my case, I when I first got into the fandom, I had not transitioned yet. And I was trans and I was trying to figure myself out. And so furry can act as kind of a, a, a new way to kind of look inward on yourself. Because it's, you know, it's asking you those questions and becoming kind of a part of your life, right? Yeah, so part of the community says, well, if you're just going to choose an animal character, why can't I be trans? Why can't I be gay? Is fine. Like, you're already an animal. Why not? <laughs> Wait a second. I love this. I love thinking about the costumes as a way to escape your physical body as a way to completely transform into someone else, which, to be honest, is something that all of us have wanted to do at some point. I think part of the character aspect is that you have to think, you know, in an ideal situation, what would I be like in physicality? What would I look like? What would I sound like? You know, how tall would I be? How short would I be? And you can explore those identities in a safe way where everybody just accepts you as you are. You can just tell people what you are and they'll believe you. They won't question you. They won't try to fight you about it. You can just enjoy what you think you are and act as that person. To kind of add to that too, when you adopt a character or, a, you know, like an avatar, whatever you would like to call it, a persona, you create this kind of veil of anonymity because, you know, like for starters, most furries, they interact and socialize on the internet. So you don't see that person-to-person -person interaction as much. But that also allows you to experiment with other aspects of your identity that you wouldn't otherwise. And that's a really big thing. That's, that's the key, I think, to most aspects of furry. Yeah, it allows you to be far more open about who you are. Mm -hmm. Let's back up just a minute and talk about where both Chip and Ash were in terms of their sexual orientation when they first met. I wasn't sure if I was gay or bi or any of that. I hadn't really thought about it too much. And I was leaning gay, but I wasn't sure. And so I was just open to anybody, really, to whoever I appreciated the most. And after a long, long time, I think I can say I'm pan, <laughs> pansexual, which means I don't really care about the gender that much. It's not my primary focus on a person. I more like them as who they are as a personality-wise, I guess. I like their personality more than their gender. When I was younger, I certainly, um, I kind of shifted more towards the gay side. And that was just purely, you know, like I was attracted to men. And that was, that was kind of it. And then as I kind of grew older and started to kind of recognize some of my own aspects of identity that I'd been suppressing and started to transition, 
I, I also kind of had a moment of awakening and understanding my own uh, sexuality and the way I express it. And I, I very much kind of land into that. I guess you could say pansexual or demisexual. It's it's more about the person than it is about the gender. Was it easier to express these views of sexuality when you are in furry mode or furry costumes because as an animal, you're not necessarily one gender or the other? Yeah. I mean, Ash enjoyed fursuiting just socially fursuiting as an animal because no one assumed her gender at that point. Yeah. And I think that's what really drove Ash to enjoy fursuiting a lot is, hey, I can be just anybody or anything and she could explore her gender that way, just in a social setting. And that was, I think, really appealing to you, right? Oh, super appealing. I mean, that that ultimately was kind of like the big draw for me was being able to just be myself, be able to express myself as myself and, and have fun, too. It was, it was yeah. great. And, you know, you're a fictional character, but you could be whatever gender you wanted. Mm -hmm. And that was the advantage of that kind of costume. Yeah, it, it kind of strips away your, your physical self and allows you to be something yeah. else. When Ash and Chip first met, they both presented as men. And they had a plan for a gay wedding. And I was sitting there really kind of stewing in with myself. I was trying to really kind of understand who I was. And I, I had known that I was trans since, since I had first learned the word for it when I was 21. But I never expressed it because I thought I could cover it up and, and hide it. But I knew that I had to come clean chip i knew that i had to tell chip that hey i'm trans we're you know we're about ready to go sign this legal contract we're about ready to say hey you know like we're together i i don't want this to end in you know tragedy i i want you know like this to be a moment where we can build up something beautiful and it was a tough conversation it, it was it was really rough i i think i remember um First trying to bring it up, we're sitting out in our backyard in the hot tub, and I kind of start getting really emotional. I start crying, and I'm like, I believe I was just like, I think I'm trans. I, I think this is something that I have to do. And I remember Chip kind of just starting to be smiling and just being like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You would struggle quite a bit with that. Yeah. Where very unhappy trying to be the guy that you thought I wanted you to be. So you were trying to be more masculine and stronger and everything just to impress me. And that made you more and more miserable. Mm -hmm. And I think you being miserable made me realize, well, whatever you need to do, you better do it because it's not good to be miserable forever. And I, I think that's what really convinced us you needed to go through with it just because no matter how hard you tried to be a guy, it wasn't working and it just made you unhappy. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that, that really is it. it. It is kind of like this. I mean, we've been using that analogy of putting on a mask when you're when you're trans. You spend your entire life wearing a mask. And so, you know, like in a lot of ways for me, the furry fandom was a gateway for me to remove that mask and just be myself. Yeah, I mean, that was sort of a growing process for me, knowing that the person I was with had to physically change into a woman. And I don't know if Ash could have ever been like a fantasy guy for me, (laughs) because you know, fantasies are kind of out of reach of reality, you know, and they're never going to be possible. It's just like, this is the person I love. They're never going to be ideal physically. I don't think anybody can be physically ideal. They can get close, I'm sure. But it's it's pretty hard and pretty unlikely that someone would be your ideal physical choice. And We also all get disgusting well, as we grow older, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. I was just like, That's well, we're truth. we're getting older anyway. It it, it doesn't matter at some point. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, I, I don't think my ideal person is is possible anyway. And transitioning isn't going to affect me that much, to be honest. I did worry about, you know, what would my friends think of me if suddenly I was straight and not gay anymore. <laughs> and some of my friends didn't like that. You were a gay man that was attracted to men, right? So what would it be like mm-hmm. to suddenly be with a woman? Yeah, and in some ways it would make things easier at work. And you you wouldn't have to say like, oh, my partner and all that stuff. You could say my wife. <laughs> and so conversations were more natural because of straight privilege. But in, in other ways, with our social group, it was a big shift. Uh, socially, we lost some friends because they weren't into meeting with straight couples, even though Ash was trans. So that was weird. For me, the, the physicality of being attracted to a man versus a, a trans woman, I realized, you know, maybe my ideal person is more in the fictional realm anyway because I'm furry. And <laughs> as a furry, you know, I find maybe that more of imaginary character could be more attractive than someone who who is real. <laughs> and I think Ash's character is pretty cute, to be honest. And I like her character a lot. And I like her personality a lot as who she is. And I can appreciate her physical attributes in real life. And I think her character looks even better. <laughs> But I think that about myself, too. I think my character looks better than I do. That was going to be my follow-up. Do you think it was easier to accept Ash being trans because you guys are furry? Because you, and again, correct me if I say this wrong, but are used to accepting mutable forms or like like, that people can be lots of different things at one time? Yeah, I think so. It made... Furry made Ash's transition easier because we were used to different forms. Um, And we also had that LGBT basis in the furry fandom. So combine that LGBT commonality in furry with the idea that someone can be anything, it made 
Ash just transitioned easier for me. That's for sure. Oh yeah. I I, I mean I, I I think that one cannot underplay the fact that, you know, like that having that queer community basis, that language is already kind of written into our social groups. We try to, at least, understand each other and find those those elements of self without, you know, like that projected image. You know, like shortly after I transitioned, when we had these beautifully open conversations and we were able to kind of break down who we were and then rebuild, that was absolutely beautiful. So now tell me a little bit about your wedding. <laughs> 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 oh my god uh, uh so our wedding was just i love that us. reaction uh, by the way uh, i love that you're like i mean you like had to catch your breath girl <laughs> ash hates weddings she hates ceremonies she hates all that stuff so we literally just went to the dmv and signed some papers <laughs> it was it was so classy. It was wonderful. I, re I remember walking up to the clerk, and the clerk was like, you want a what? <laughs> like, like uh, the, we were just like, we're here to get married. And like, you know, like this whole thing. And it, it was interesting because I, I think we need to actually ground ourselves here in reality for a second. And, um, oh, for our wedding picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. I did get us a wedding picture, which is a commission of our furry characters done in a nice painting style. I commissioned an artist in Spain to paint us, and they painted our characters getting married. So we do have that as kind of a wedding picture. It's, that was my favorite, favorite piece of art ever. Yeah. So we, yeah. Com we commemorated our wedding with uh, a painting. Uh Ash, what was it like the first time you saw that painting? Oh my god. When it so Chip Chip is really wonderful in the way that he likes to surprise me with things. And we get this little package in the mail and it had, you know, a, a lot of international stamps on it, just like stacked all over this thing. And I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. I wonder what this is. Chip gets home from work because I usually work from home. And I was like, oh, you know, like we got this in the mail. And he's like, oh, that's actually a surprise for you. And I was like, okay. And so I opened it up and it was just, my heart melted. It was the most beautiful thing. It's kind of nice to be able to just have those moments in a way and like reconstruct those memories, those shared memories that we have in a manner that suits us and fits us. And it, it was just beautiful. I was very curious to know whether Chip and Ash's personas were also a couple. If they stayed together and if they were married when they were in their fursuits. But first, a quick break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If 
you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm preaching to somebody today who is waiting for God to give you your next step. And you don't know what it is yet. You need God to show you your next step. Because God, I can't stay where I am, like I am, where it is. This isn't going to work. I, I have to move on, but I don't know where. A lot of time you'll use it as an excuse. Well, I don't know how, I don't know where, I don't know what. God, if you show me, God, if you tell me, God, if no, 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 no. You know enough right now. And if you needed to know more, he would show you. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I want to invite you to listen to my podcast, Elevation with Stephen Furtick. I am here to help you for the battles that you face in life, for the times when you feel discouraged, for the times that you need guidance from God. I want to give you the truth of what he says about you to help you rise to your full potential. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, so at least for us, our characters are a mirror of real life. 
they might not look like us, but as far as the relationship status goes, it's the same. Some people in furry have strictly character relationships in sort of a fantasy setting. So it's more like a, a fictional story for them than it is a mirror to real life. Yeah, it'd be like if you had two D&D &D characters that were married yeah. to each other, but like obviously the people playing them are not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So some people treat their personas as D&D &D characters, basically, they're role-playing, whereas Ash and I more are a mirror of real life. Mm -hmm. As Ash and Chip tell it, there are a lot of advantages, many of them social, to wearing fursuits. Physically... There's really not much pleasure in it. I can tell you right now, uh, wearing a fursuit is not comfortable. It, it is uh, kind of like wearing a giant carpet. It's very hot. It's very restrictive. And oh, goodness, it's <laughs> it's exhausting. It, it really is. I think the major attraction of fursuiting for people is being able to just embody a character other than who they are physically. Right. So it, it's, you know, like a um, an actor adopting a character, you are able to strip away that self and become this other and exist in that space in a way where people interact with you completely differently. Take, for example, if you put on one of your friends fursuits, you could literally experience life through the eyes of someone else. Those interactions with those people, you know, become like they were interactions with maybe your friend as opposed to an interaction that might have happened with you. And that that is kind of at least the, the draw and the appeal for me. Yeah, I, I think it's fun to embody another. I do want to interrupt for just one quick second. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, sure. But no, I mean, that made me think about how many times have all of us thought about how many, how interesting it would be to embody one of our friends' bodies, right? Their skin, their face. Like, what would life be like if I were just walking around the West Village in the body and face of my prettier friend? Right, exactly. Like, I mean, that's that's kind of how fursuiting is. <laughs> is it's like being able to be like, oh, hey, I want to try on somebody else today. Like, and you literally like throw on a different character and you can go out and people will be, behave completely differently around you, interact with you differently. It's amazing. It's quite the uh, the experience. Yeah, when you tried on a friend's fursuit for a night and didn't tell anybody except your friend, you had a whole different set of social groups you could go to. <laughs> yeah, people people just come up assuming that I was somebody else, and like we had conversations, and I met people I wouldn't have ever met before because of that. Yeah, just totally new social settings, new friends, different people. It was, it was, I don't do that myself because I don't like the germs. That's fair. <laughs> uh, as you can imagine, wearing a fursuit is, you sweat a lot inside yeah, one of those things. And, it's not. And people do disinfect them, you know. You can yeah. spray it with Febreze and Lysol or whatever. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> I still don't know if I want to wear my friend's fursuit. One of the myths I want to clear up is every time I tell people, I'm like, oh my gosh, we were doing an episode with furries. And again, I feel bad using the term since I'm not part of the community, but a lot of people think it's a weird sex thing. 
Can we mm-hmm. clear up that myth right now? Like, d- how how much of this is a sex thing, or is it just a community thing? I, I mean, I, I think the, the real answer kind of comes down to the fact that being a furry is an individualistic experience, right? So every person is going to answer that question differently. For us, it's just more of a hobby, you know, like we get to go hang out with people around the world and, you know, like sometimes wear goofy costumes, but for other people, it can be other things. I I think that um, a lot of folks like to lump and group individuals into certain categories because it just makes it easier for them to understand. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, like everybody fits into those categories or stereotypes. You know, and the other part is I think the demographics correlate pretty closely to the rest of the world's relationship with sexuality. You get about the same number of people who consume adult pictures or adult videos in furry as you do in the rest of the world. So I don't know if it's any more or less sexual. The I guess the difference is that if you consume adult art, you could put yourself in that situation and that opens up a whole new gateway to sexuality in a way. You don't just look at some weird adult actor. You can put your own fictional character into that situation. And maybe that's where furry gets that impression on people because people can customize their own adult experience. But as far as consumption of adult content, it correlates to the rest of the world pretty closely. I think rule 34 is there's adult art for everything. There's adult art for everything you can think of. Absolutely everything. How do your families feel about the world? Uh, what, what do you mean by that? The furry world? The furry world, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do they know about it? Are they accepting of it? What have they said to you? Well, uh, my my dad is a professor, um, and... Uh, he absolutely loves it. He thinks it is the best thing he's ever seen. He, in fact, he sends me selfies of him whenever he runs into a furry on the streets of Portland. It's, it's really special. <laughs> my mom and dad have both worn my fursuits. They mostly just see it as another form of expressing yourself. I mean, I think in a lot of ways, the fandom kind of takes the place of maybe what organized religion had for other individuals in their life. It's, you know, like it's that community that you can just goof off or be a part of. Yeah, you can join furry and automatically have a local group to go say hi to. And I think that's what a lot of people look for in religion is just that local community they can rely on. And (laughs) so I don't think your family minds it too much. Yeah, they love it. I don't think my family talks about it much. I think they like to ignore it or pretend it doesn't exist because it's just too weird for them in rural America. And, uh, so they they generally don't want to acknowledge it or don't bring it up. And I can understand that, you know, they don't want their church friends to be shocked. So <laughs> they just don't talk about it. I think my sisters are more open about it. They don't care as much because they grew up with the internet and they're like, well, you know, there's weirder things online than just furries. So they don't mind as much. Just like there's a spectrum for gender and a spectrum for sexuality, there's also a spectrum for furries. 
for instance, Chip likes the costumes, but they're not his like big thing. He's much more into the artistic aspects of the furry community. I just enjoy the visual aspect of the art because you can create all kinds of fantasy worlds and characters and show them in a more realistic setting than you could with a costume. So, you know, if you could show you and your friends hanging out in a diner in art, it's a little harder to do in a, in a costume. <laughs> you couldn't get that same idyllic scene wearing a costume that you could in a painted picture. How do you create your fursona? Like, is that a very personal, individualistic thing? I think creating your fursona is quite possibly the most personal and individualistic thing, at least when it comes to being, you know, like a member of the furry community. When you kind of create your fursona, you might either, let's say you could surplant an idealized self or maybe a realistic self. And you can, you can pick these different character traits and these little things that maybe you really like about yourself or maybe things you really want to change too. And you kind of composite all these things together to make your character. So take like picking a species, for example. My persona is a coyote. I'm a fox. And when we, you know, like kind of picked those characters, it has a lot to do with kind of who we are as people. Too. So like I think of coyotes as kind of like they're kind of like a scruffy dog. It's it's been, you know, like maybe beaten up a little bit and weathered by the world, but you know, like they, they have some wisdom in there. And they have great survival traits. They do, <laughs> yeah. Coyotes survive everywhere. And I'm a fox because I tend to be able to problem solve and I can be grumpy a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I also like to have fun though. And that's something you have. I have in common with with real foxes. Is foxes can be playful, a bit grumpy and bitey, and also they love problem solving and they can survive well. Yeah, and I, I think if you were to ask like ten different people, they'd all give you ten different answers and, about why. Oh yeah, you you always get different answers, and the fun part about making a persona is that you could mix and match like your aspirational goals with who you are now. Where do you source the costumes? How do you get them? Do you make them yourself or do you order them from somewhere? You could kind of look at this from like a uh, like a Jedi perspective, right? It's like you, you can only be a Jedi once you construct your own lightsaber. You can only be a furry once you construct your own fursuit. <laughs> uh, uh, that's just a joke. I, and so, like, realistically, like, for, you know, like, furries almost always commission their fursuits from independent artists. They're folks that, you know, just do this for a living. We, we have several friends that make fursuits for yeah. a living and, like, make a really good living so doing it. Fursuits are more of an artisanal situation where you find the one maker with the right style and the right price that you can find. And... You're very lucky if you find that person with the style and price you want, because there aren't many choices. <laughs> that's that's true. I mean, there's probably, well, there is more demand than there is supply. Right. So while there might be a hundred or more fursuit makers, there's demand where you have to wait three to five years to get your costume, if not longer. Oh, yeah, easily. Like, we've waited about five years for a costume once. 
And, you know, like, I think the important thing to keep in mind, too, is that these these are literally customized wearable pieces of artwork. It It's it's so much more than just kind of like, a, hey, here's a generic, you know, like looking wolf, you know, like the, maybe you buy at a Halloween store. Yeah, you would never get a fur suit like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, you know, something that's been constructed with love and care. And and they're customized to your character. They look exactly like the character you want them to look. Yeah, I mean, like, to, to kind of go off that and to give you an example, like, like let's say you had a character that's a snow leopard. You know, you don't find fur patterns with those spots in the way that they exist in nature. And so usually if you see somebody with a snow leopard costume, those those spots have been airbrushed into the fur itself. So each one of those was just kind of painted on. Or sewn very, very carefully. Or sewn very, very carefully. And and that it's that kind of like degree of custom detail that exists. So you're saying there is a big opportunity for the economy if more people could <laughs> invest in making yes. costumes <laughs> i mean we've had friends sell um the largest we had a friend sell the largest printing company in denver to start making fursuits um he sold a multi-million dollar business so he could make fursuits so there is opportunity yeah i mean hey economic stimulus package i am always trying to figure out how to get out of this podcast racket so let's see how good i can <laughs> a sewing machine Hey, if you got skills, I'd say this. I think that furry is is more than any one thing. So, you know, like when we're examining its relationship to, let's say, you know, like trans identity. So roughly 14% of the fandom identifies as trans. If suddenly, you know, like overnight, everybody was just like, oh, yeah, you know, like we're completely cool with trans people. No problems anymore. I still think those people would be a part of the community because it's the community that binds us together. It's a social group. It's a place where we can meet and interact. It's far beyond the just simple kind of like nuances of this is how I identify. And it's a creator community too. So it's a creative outlet for a lot of people. And even if you're accepted, you still want to have a fun creative outlet and that is generally what drives people to join furry in a lot of ways as well is they can say well i know i'm lgbt and i'm accepted now but i also need this creative outlet where i can show some more fun things i enjoy or some more interesting parts of my personality mm-hmm. it's just a it's a nice outlet Ultimately, I think that being furries has made our relationship incredibly strong. Yeah, when Ash transitioned, it was something I had to think about for a long time, but ultimately it wasn't that bad because I knew that we were both able to share so much with each other and be very open with each other without any stigma. Because when you're furry, you're already 
pretty awkward and weird, and everybody mutually is weird and awkward. And you can say, well, yeah, this is weird about me, but we already knew we were weird, so we can talk about whatever. It's fine. <laughs> we can talk about being trans. It's okay, because we're already weird and strange anyway, and that's not a big deal compared to how weird we really are otherwise. <laughs> that's true. That is absolutely true. I mean, like... That's the, the, I think the, the key to it is just a overwhelming acceptance of self and each other. Being furry allows people to have mutual ground on their transition, on whatever they want to talk about, whatever they want to open up about. There is this mutual understanding. This episode of Committed was reported by Joe Piazza, with a very special thanks to Ash and Philip Kreese. Supervising producer is Ramsey Yunt. The executive producers are Joe Piazza and Tyler Klang. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404-996-1173. Or send us an email at joe at committedpodcast.com that's j-o at committedpodcast.com you can grab a copy of joe's book how to be married on amazon or wherever books are sold committed is a production of iHeartRadio and produced in our studios located in atlanta georgia for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows a new season of bridgerton is here And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. 
Yes, she's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.